Welcome to the You, Me and the GP radio show, a health exercise and nutrition show for over 40s who want to get back to their best. Discover how to keep yourself fit, healthy and full of energy. Each week, your hosts Rich Clark and Dr. Mark Daniels will answer your questions and interview special guests. Rich Clark is an exercise scientist and nutritionist who helps over 40s thrive, not just survive in today's busy world. Dr. Mark Daniels is a practicing GP with 25 years experience. He's had notable success with his patients using simple dietary changes rather than medication to provide improvements. Living in Wales with their families, they see the effect poor health has on people on a daily basis and how easily it can be turned around. Sit back and enjoy our tips and advice. Hello and welcome to another episode of uh, You, Me and the GP. I'm here today with uh, uh, Mark. Uh, We're going to be doing a Q&A. How are you, Mark, since I've seen you last? I'm pretty good. Uh, Another torrent of human misery and surgery today, but uh, other than that, I'm feeling good. Good man, how you do it, I'll never know, but uh, I suppose the golf and uh, the medication helps. uh. (laughs) Um, so we are uh, pleased to announce that everything's up and live at the moment going down a storm the first few days of the podcast so thank you I heard this saying on another chap's podcast the other day so I'm just going to steal it straight off him this podcast will only keep going if it keeps growing so hey boom boom if you can share a support and recommend this to other people we would be really really chuffed a bit so please um, help us uh, to, to keep this going we do all this um, out of our own time free of charge there's lots of uh, sort of implications to it so we really kind of appreciate the help in hand with spreading the word and some reviews yeah reviews thank you Mark very good stick a review on iTunes between now and the end of January and you'll be entered into a prize draw uh, to win uh, a very special prize I haven't, uh, still haven't decided yet so uh, if you're from this area you can come and see me and we'll do a few sessions together something like that so um Straight into the first question. Sure, let's go for it. Hi Rich, I read the blog and love the radio idea. I'm 45 years old and I hurt my ankle doing judo. I rolled over on it badly. It's not broken, but it's been two weeks now and it's aching uh, aching and still a bit swollen. How long will it be until I can train again? I'll uh, take this one, Mark, shall I? Now, I'm not a physiotherapist or anything, but just so everybody knows... I have a physiotherapist who works with me and has done for sort of well over 10 years so the general procedure for me is I refer all my clients to a physiotherapy for an assessment and the physiotherapist sends me a report and then I kind of do the rehab. That's been happening for 10 years so I'm not a physio but I'll help as best as I can in in what I know, okay? Basically, this is how long can he, till he can go back to training. Everybody says this, all athletes and all people, especially these competitive people, they're all the same. So how long is a piece of string? It always depends. If the pain and the sharp pain has gone and it's coming to more of an ache, then you can certainly, um, and you've stopped limping on it, then you can certainly start to, to build things up. But it's a matter of building things up uh, bit by bit, going through some stability work, uh, wobble boards and whatnot. You got Bosu balls and the gyms and things these days. And then after you've done all that, then you can start multi-directional stuff again. That might take a process of three to six weeks. If it's a reoccurring problem, I would suggest a bit more rehab and uh, possibly some strapping if you're going into that um, 
kind of dynamic environment there really where the ankle can 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 go over quite easily so yeah make sure you can get the weight bearing first uh, do some stability work and if it's a reoccurring problem then uh, you might want to look at some strapping to help you um, kind of transition back uh, to full health and strength with it okay what you'll find as well with an ankle is they do look a bit puffy for a while so they, they will retain a bit of swelling it can be like months literally if you do your ankle good you can hold a lot of swelling and retention around there so don't be too put off by that if it's not hurting and it's it's sort of you're, you're like going up and down stairs uh, and, and running in straight lines then you can progress on other things and mark what, what have you got to add to that well basically i see, we see a lot of ankles knees um shoulders and Especially for ankles, I mean, the, the classic adage of rice, rest, ice, compression, elevation when it first occurs is, is very good. And you, you stick to that for the first couple of weeks and get some physio. And really, the physiotherapist will, will help you through your, your, your problem. And then, as uh, Rich said, gentle re- some rehabilitation. But if you injure yourself, do the rice and you can't go wrong. Yeah, yeah. And... Um with the, uh, the the rice as well, I think uh, it's, they've got a new one now, this price. Oh, is it? So <laughs> it's uh, obviously move these things yeah. on and it's just protect yes. rest, I said. Yeah, so absolutely. don't stretch it yes. and don't go kind of um, uh, re-kind of uh, irritating it uh, so yeah. on. But anyway. And the, the other thing I would say is mm. if you first 20, 24, 48 hours of the injury, do not take any anti-inflammatories because that's counterproductive. It actually makes it worse. So people oh. often take proof for yes, yes. 24, 48 hours. There's lots of research that says first 48 hours don't take anti-inflammatories. And explain uh, the rationale the behind that. The rationale is that the body itself provides its own inflammation, mm. and if you're doing an anti-inflammation, inflammation, which is what the ibuprofen or whatever does, you're actually working against the body. The body can't first. do its own clean-up job. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. For, at least for the first 48 hours, do not take yeah. any anti-inflammatories. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay question two a uh, bit of a long question this one i've underlined what i think the actual questions are within it off a lady called jane hi i'm starting exercise after having major problems with my knee i've dislocated it a few times and now i've had an operation on it i'm scared to start exercise on it because in the past when i've started an exercise regime i seem to have dislocated my knee not long after I also had conflicting advice about what exercises would be best to strengthen my knee and would like your opinion on this. I had my knee up in April of this year. I did have physio after it, but this was fairly basic. I do still get twinges in my knee, usually after I walk up a lot of stairs. My problem is I'm too scared to do much exercise now, as in the past when I started exercising, a few months down the line, my knee dislocated last year, for example. I was going to an exercise class two or three times a week and my knee dislocated very easily by just turning around quickly and as a result of that I, I broke my foot. I do need to lose weight over the last five years. I've piled it on mainly due to bad diet, piling weight on due to three pregnancies and also ongoing problems with my knee. I know it probably sounds like a load of excuses but I seriously want to do something to get this sorted, losing weight and getting fit. At the moment, I'm convinced my knee is going to pop out again, and I would like to get to the point where my knee feels strong, and I don't have to give it a second thought. It's starting to dictate what I can do now. Please help. What I'd like to know is, has it popped out since the operation? Okay, I, go on. Go on yeah. I've met this woman. Yes. I've right. met with Jane. Yeah. Um, she's starting a programme with me. No. Yeah. I, I, first, some, of this, some, of, some of this might be a psychological problem in the fact that she is worried 
that it's going to pop out. And so it's not doing what you should do. I mean, I've got a good friend who had lots of knee operations and he felt that he couldn't do a squat because he was scared he was going to do damage to his knee. And so I said to him, well, just try a gentle squat without any weight. And he's now progressing on to doing squats with weights. Yes. It was a psychological barrier. He yes. didn't feel he could do anything because he might damage his knee. Yeah. So you, you have to do some. You have to start somewhere. I'm sure you've, you've mm. given her a good plan to start. Well, somewhere. well, what what I established through meeting, and I can give you a little bit more information now. The the operation she had was to readjust the position of her kneecap, which was in the wrong place. So that's been done. So that was a kind of music to my ears uh, initially. She's done her rehab and she hasn't gone back to any exercise with the new knee. And bearing in mind, now this is a new knee as such, so we can treat it kind of as a separate kind of knee, if you like, to the one before because it has had a sort of mechanical adjustment. So we were chatting. It turns out that the class she was actually doing three times a week with this supposedly weak knee was bloody Zumba. Oh, now you, you, yeah, you couldn't get anything yeah. worse for a knee yeah. and um, yeah. she wasn't aware of that she's just like everybody else to just go they see a class a friend will say come on and she was enjoying it and it was doing sure. her good and she'd done fine for a few months so again the fact that she'd done well for 8 to 12 weeks that gave me a bit more confidence in, in what she can do so um, basically she wanted some help about how she's going to best strengthen her knee. She has a physiotherapist appointment tomorrow because that's what I referred her initially. I'll again get the report, as I mentioned uh, uh, earlier. I'll get the report and then I'll put the rehab in place. But what I'll do is is we'll have exercise with a rehab thread. So we'll do a golden thread, a rehab through exercise sessions. So she's going to do four weeks rehab with me in the new year. And you were spot on in, in your first uh, instinct, Mark. It is a confidence thing, and she's lost confidence. So sure. it is, a, as you say, psychological uh, in, in that respect. Um, but she is so normal in that. Who doesn't lose their uh, confidence when they're kind of out of action for a little while? And plus, she's got all right to have lost confidence because she's had a couple of really traumatic kind of dislocations and oh. breaks as well. So. What I'm going to focus on is showing her what she can do. So building up this big list of things that she can do. And I've also told her probably at this point, in reality, you can't, she couldn't be going back to bloody Zumba. And there'll be always a golden thread of rehab going through her programs forever. She has a wide Q angle at the hips. You know about the, the steepness. The women are wider in the hip and they come in at the knee. So the angle between the hip and the knee coming in is called the Q angle. And when that's quite steep, the knees are prone to dislocation. So... You know, we have to take that into account and we have to take into account the fact of the history and I won't be asking her to do too many twisting and turning. She will be able to twist and turn, but I won't be asking her to do it repetitively and to the point of fatigue, which is where these potential problems can happen. So um, hopefully that will help there, Jane. I know obviously we've spoken about that. Great. Next question. Uh, this question is from a chap called Craig, works for Alimon. Uh, supplement um, uh, company Craig he's a healthy guy very healthy guy okay um, so he's emailed me hi Rich what are the best foods stroke supplements for healthy bilirubin levels had my annual hy- annual hypertension review and kicked ass Expect, except for my bilirubin levels 
They were up two points from last year. Elevated levels apparently cause jaundice. I think it's linked to liver function, etc. I know milk thistle is meant to be the main liver supplement, but wondered if anyone knew something specific to influence bilirubin. Thanks, Craig. You want me to say this one? Right Please, yeah, I didn't even know what bilirubin was. I, yeah, I texted. Sure. But the bottom line here is he's had gone for a medical checkup and everything's been great. And he's had, we've had a lot of blood tests and the bilirubin, which is... Uh, what hap- bilirubin is a breakdown product uh, from red blood cells. When they get to the end of their life, they're broken down. They go to the liver and then they're excreted into um, the bowel and then in- they go into urine and get. That's why your urine's yellow and that's why your, ba- your bowel motions are dark. Now, bilirubin can be high for two, well, three main reasons. The first one is liver problems, uh, and the second one is blood problems. In other words, they're breaking down too much blood and you get too much blood. But there is a third one, which is the commonest one, which most people don't know about. And I expect this is what he's got. Um, if 10% of the people in the Western world have got something called Gilbert syndrome, which is a, um, a totally and utterly um, non-illness. So it is, it's tot- it, it, there is no problem with it at all. It's not an illness, but it is where people genetically have a higher bilirubin. And... 10% of people have got it and it gives you no symptoms whatsoever apart from occasionally you may go a little bit yellow if you're dehydrated or stressed or whatever, but it's not an illness. All right? It's just a syndrome. It's a genetic defect that 10% of us have got. In fact, I've got it. And as long as he's had normal liver function, which he will have had in his blood test, and he will have had a full blood count, which will show he's not breaking down his blood, he's got Gilbert syndrome. Right. So he doesn't need to, to support his liver because his liver's normal. Okay. And this two points, is that a significant increase? I don't obviously know the, the numbers. It says, oh, it's, it's, no, it's, it's not. He, he so is have, that like, under, an, like over analysis in a point? Sometimes yeah. we react to these increases sure. and they're, that, they're, that, they're within the normal that changes. Could, that could be he's just a little bit more dehydrated. It is not a sign of illness at all. If he looks back at his test results and says he's got normal liver function tests, which you never ever get a bilirubin without liver function tests. Right. So he will have had normal liver function tests, so he has not got liver disease, and he will have had a normal blood count, which shows he hasn't got um, problems with his, with his um, breaking down blood cells. Okay. So as long as he's got those two things, he can just relax and forget about it and live mm. his normal life. So as long as he's, as you say, generally healthy and all Absolutely. that sort of he stuff. Absolutely. He doesn't need, need to take anything to support his liver. He Great. just lives his normal Keep on doing what he does. Yeah. Well done. There we Absolutely. go. Thank you. Great. Just to, if he suspects this, can he go and confirm that he has that with Absolutely. his doctor? If he can go in and, and just, what, what should he say? All he needs to go in and say is, I had a high bilirubin in my uh, annual check. Can I have my liver functions done, liver function test done and a full blood count? As long as those two come back completely normal. He probably had them in his health check. So he may be able to look back at his health check and see that he had a normal blood count and he had a normal liver function test. If they're not uh, normal, then he should go to his doctor. Okay, great. Brilliant. Next question. Oh, before we go on to the next question, yes. worth googling Gilbert syndrome for him, if, if you want to, because it's all over the internet. You, it's not a problem. Gilbert syndrome. Okay, yeah. great. Thank you. Good uh, top tips. Next question from my friend over in Morriston, Donato. Uh, Donato asks: uh, Is it possible, Rich and Mark, to have too much spicy food in a healthy weekly diet? And he is healthy. Yes, he's very healthy. Right. Uh, I. I didn't know, is the honest answer. So I, so yes. I, I PubMed it and, and looked all over the internet uh, and all the medical publications and everything I could find. There is very little. Now, you'd think you'd be surprised. Mm. There's tons on coffee. There's tons on lots of other foods. Yeah. But when it comes to spicy food, there's very little. The only downside I could see was that um, there's been one study that shows that at all the um, poison ivy family, in other words, potatoes, 
uh, capsaicin peppers. Right, night, can, deadly nightshades. Deadly nightshades, sorry, yeah. The, the deadly nightshades can cause, uh, can possibly cause atrial fabrication. But that was the only downside I could see. I think he's been down that road, actually. Yeah, uh, eliminating it, yeah. yeah. And he has, I think, sensitivity in uh, his, his um, sort of digestion and things like sure. that. But, uh, it, but the surprising thing is, there was no evidence that peppers or spicy food causes any problem with gastritis or anything like that. If you look, look at the sort of men's health magazines, they'll all say, mm. oh, don't eat spicy foods if you've, got, if you've got stomach problems. In fact, there's no evidence that that's true. Now, there is an upside to spicy food, of course. I mean, turmeric is yeah, the, it's the best antioxidant you can get. Yeah. And they, they are very healthy, these spices. Mm. So mm. they also, I mean, there's also the other thing that they co- increase your thermic um, Sort of your thermic potential, so those you, you, you heat up. Now, people think you often see that in the magazines that oh, that's that's going to make you um, lose weight. Well, actually, it won't. It, it, won't yeah, actually. No, no, the, no. the simple reason it won't is because it'll make you sweat, but unfortunately, because of the thermic effect, it makes you hungry. Mm. So, it's very good in a, in a hot kind of climate because it makes you sweat, so you cool down, and it also makes you hungry because if you're in a hot climate, you don't eat so much. Huh? Right. Right. So, good, that's good. why it's good for sort of the subcontinent because it's perfect, perfect food for them. Perfect but, food. For, but it will not make you lose weight, but it will help you with antioxidants. So, I'd carry on eating spicy foods personally. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, I, I uh, take the, um, the turmeric capsules every day. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I just eat turmeric and curry. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't have as much uh, curry. I, I, found, I think they're combined with some of the stuff that the digestive enzymes. Ah, right, I yeah, had yeah. Um, some sort of. I was just eating a high meat diet, so I was yes. taking a few of those, you know. But uh, yeah. yeah, obviously get everything from natural sources if we can. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Okay, uh, next question. Oh, the, other, the other thing about spices, I yes. would just make sure they're fresh. Right. You know, you keep people have spice racks, and you know, you get the spice rack, and they've been there for four or five years. Spice racks, yes. you know, the, the, the spices do go off and they do get colonised bladder stuff. So I, I would suggest that you, you know, clear out your spice rack and get good, fresh, high-quality spices. Good, good. That's uh, good advice. Okay. Next question, one for me, I think. Uh, James asks a few questions. The first of James's questions. And he gets a few questions because uh, we... And probably do with a few more being sent in. I don't know if we got about six or eight here, but yeah, we can send your questions in, guys, please. What are your thoughts on fasted cardio? Uh, do you want to have a go at that? So let me have a go. Oh, you have a go at that. There's so many different. I mean, you could go. Yeah, long. D- hundreds yes. of different opinions on this, yeah. and you're welcome to get into the morass of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, again, uh, keep it on the safe side. It depends. Fasted cardio for weight loss is good in theory if your body fat levels are higher it's better so the basic premise what you're going to find with fasted cardio is that it's going to help increase your um, glucose sensitivity and reduce your um, insulin uh, resistance so keeping the insulin levels down low and keeping the glucose levels down low is beneficial for fat loss um, so that um, it would be kind of fasted cardio would be good for that myself for example I'm kind of lean and I've lost all my kind of body fat that I want to lose as it were and it's not good for me fasted cardio I wouldn't if it was a performance or anything like that I just don't do well on anything low carbs so the best kind of thing is is to gauge it on body fat levels and things don't abuse it 
uh, you can't just abuse it. You can slip into ketosis, start getting like bad breath, and you stay on a low carb diet and do fasted cardio and all this sort of stuff. And you're really starting to create a lot of stress for your body then, which brings in other things, okay, which we're going to go on to in the next question, I think, there. So, cardio is not so beneficial to fast twitch people. So people who were, really, were really good sprinters when they were kids or whatever, they are not uh, so uh, benefit. They're not going to benefit as much from cardio. Um, but the people who are good endurance athletes and the people who are mixed, so the people who are more football and rugby type stuff and good at that, they will benefit from from the the, the kind of uh, the cardio a bit more. Um, what have I got there written down on my notes? As, as part of an overall uh, plan, it's fine, but. It has to be balanced, as I say, just don't go, you know, doing all your fa uh, cardio fasted. And if you go much over 60 minutes, you'll be in trouble on fasted cardio, okay? So uh, these are short sessions you need to keep it to. Um, but for weight loss, we'll go on to some other things now, and I think they'll probably make it a bit easier for you. Next, anything to add to that, Mark? Yeah, well, this, this, the science behind the um, going below, beyond 60 minutes, I mean, your glycogen stores where you store all your carbohydrates. Basically, if you're doing cardio, we'll run out in about 35, 40 minutes. That's why you have to eat after 35, 40 minutes of, of, um, sort of endurance exercise. So if you're fasting already, you have virtually no glycogen stores anyway, so you're going to just blow up, basically. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's okay. If you've got a ton of glycogen stores and you're doing 30 minutes, that's fine. If mm -hmm. you're going any longer, yes. you're going to struggle. Yes. All right, so don't... Um kind of uh, abuse these things use them as the tools that they meant to be there okay next question again off James hi Rich how can you spot the signs of overtraining and what is the impact to fitness and well-being now I kind of know James I've worked with him in the past uh, he is one focused guy he really really switched on but he is somebody who is, he's, got, he's one of these overtrainers. Um, and as a result, like I, I can say straight out here, my opinion is overtraining is, is going to, you know, mess up any overall plan you've got, whether you're going for the Olympics or whether you're going for fat loss or whether you're just going for some more energy. So the signs of overtraining, lots of them, um, you could probably come up with a few if you thought about it. You know, how would you feel like when you feel like crap, basically? Um, so the not sleeping very well just a bit sluggish and tired not training very well so below your strength or below your capacity um, actually getting less lean so smoothing out a bit um, that will be because you're producing a lot of cortisol and, and the stress hormone is, is kind of overtaking the, the, the well potentially testosterone and other hormones potentially getting sick Getting more occurrence of um, coughs, colds, flu symptoms. Yeah, you, you see that in the Olympic athletes. I always remember Serco and uh, him getting ill. They always had sort of gland problems and everything because they're running at such yeah. a, yes. a level of training that they they get ill all the they time. They break down, yeah, overtraining yeah. uh, on yeah. the on the and fine I, line. It is, isn't and it? I think in the late seventies, early eighties, it wasn't really known. No, and these people used to just go out and pound the streets. Yes, oh, definitely. And uh, now, well, we'll speak about that in a second. I'm going to kind of segue into the the, the the test that we can actually do for that now uh, feeling like rubbish after you exercise and especially the next day like a hangover aching limbs and really just feeling like crap 
from my perspective as a coach and as a trainer, I can measure somebody's heart rate or, or put a monitor on them and if I know what their regular heart rate profile is, I can see if that's adjusted. Usually it will raise uh, 5 to 10 beats uh, per minute. Um, they'll also have reduced power output. So where they've been maybe doing a 50 to 60 centimetre vertical jump, they may go down to 40, 50 centimetres, okay, which is quite a big drop. They get grumpy and moody. <sighs> That's not always an easy one. There's a lot of grumpy, moody people out there. They're going to injury prone and not motivated to train. Okay, so they're your kind of classic overtraining uh, symptoms. And the impact of fitness is negative. Very, very negative, okay. Um, it's kind of easier for power athletes to overtrain than it is for endurance athletes in a way so somebody who does a lot of like crossfit type stuff circuit training high intensity interval training they will overtrain and burn down a lot faster because of the effect on the um, central nervous system that those type of sessions has compared to a cardiovascular uh, session so anything else there mark you thinking oh right okay so if i was a really uh, switched on individual and I usually feel a bit grumpy. My legs always bloody ache because I'm a triathlete. Um, I, I have had trouble for sleeping for years and I, I couldn't really tell you whether these symptoms are normal or, or overtraining. So what, then, what test would I have, Mark? I, w I would suggest the first test is, is basically an adrenal stress test. Basically, because if your adrenal is uh, shot, if you're basically producing too much um, adrenaline because through overtraining, or even gone too far and producing not enough adrenaline, we need to find out that first because that messes everything else up. If you're, if you're producing too much cortisol, you're then going to produce less testosterone, you're going to train worse, you're going to, it's a great symptom of overtraining. So get that done. It's not an expensive test. It's probably, you won't be able to get it from your GP, but you can certainly get it from us. And it's, it's you know, under 100 pounds for that test. Oh, so where can they go to find out more about that? They can go onto our website at revolutionaryhealth.co.uk. Okay. Um, that's the first test I'd do. I'd also, I'd also think about, get that test back first, but also think about things like thyroid issues because occasionally people present with what looks like overtraining, but maybe their thyroid mm. be, be, would mm. be underactive. Well, if people who are, are training a lot put a lot of stress on Absolutely. their thyroid anyway, Absolutely. so they need yes. to nourish that organ uh, yes. with the right uh, nutrients. And, uh, uh, it's always, I mean, Kelp uh, being uh, yeah, a good one, no, uh, which any, any, supplement with that, seafood. Seafood, any seafood will do it. But I guess, shellfish. What's, um, what's other stuff? Lava bread, uh, is yeah, that lava good for it? Lava perfect, bread would be perfect, yeah. there we Absolutely. go. Yes, I see Swansea Market lava bread because that's delicious. Perfect, yeah. perfect. So I, I, would have, I would have your adrenal stress done. You can have a testosterone done, but if you have the adrenal stress done, it actually tells you everything you need to know, apart from perhaps the thyroid. So... Get those two done, and then you, you can tell whether you're overtraining or not. Okay, and if you're not able to get the test done like right away, then clean up your diet, get Absolutely. more sleep, uh, just do some basic. Um, go for a walk rather than yeah. go to the gym. Yeah, take a week off. Yeah, uh, yeah. For, for start, that's okay. Third and final question from James. Okay, what are your thoughts on steady state cardio versus high intensity interval training or tabata intervals? For fat loss primarily, fitness advantages would also be interesting. Um, I'll kind of have a quick pop at this one. Just to say, with all this stuff, if you're looking for fat loss, never forget the main thing if you're looking for fat loss is health. Okay, you're not going to lose fat if your body's under stress or not healthy. Okay, so if you optimize your health, 
fat loss comes uh, as, as the truck and trailer of that, if you like to call it. My Tabata is interval training, okay? So high intensity interval training is Tabata. You can call it what you like, uh, circuits, uh, CrossFit, HIT, Tabata, uh, Fartlek. You, you take your pick, they're all the same bloody thing, all right? It's just different words to describe, uh, different modes of varying the intensity uh, and the workload. So if, from my perspective, my thoughts on steady state and HIT, this is how I use them and I prescribe them as um, things to help people, okay? So if somebody is really stressed out and they've got health problems, money problems, relationship problems, coming in and doing high intensity interval training, intervals, that sort of intensity, is only going to add stress to their already uh, existing base of stress. So what we do in that instance generally is we would do steady state cardio, low intensity, something below a 70% intensity really, up to about 60-65% on, on, on their kind of um, perceived exertion if you like. So a light jog, go for 20-30 minutes, walk in between if you need to, all the rest of it. You can do any light cardio, you can row or, or a bike ride, walk. So that's what I would do in that case if somebody's stressed out. If somebody is younger, they haven't got too much trouble, they haven't had kids yet and, and all the rest of it and they haven't got a mortgage, then they've got a bit of a blank sheet and you can throw a bit more stress at them because that's what you're doing when you're training with high intensity things. You are throwing a bit of stress at the body so that would be the big difference. High intensity stuff is stressful on the body and the like, like the cardio stuff can actually be de-stressing. Okay, so you can use those uh, as you see uh, fit. You will have the initial high off all exercise, but don't um, confuse that with feeling actually better in the long term, okay? Even people who are overtraining feel good for an hour after training. They, they, that's what makes them go the next day. They say to me, well, the only thing I do feel good is training, uh, and, and it's just a false economy uh, when, when you're doing that. So remember, health is number one priority. So whatever you're trying to do, James, for you specifically, whether you're using steady state or hit gauge it on the context of where you've been with your training, where you are and where you're going. Um, so you have to make decisions like that. It's called using your intuition and uh, going like that. And you're at the level where you need to start doing that now. We can probably leave it there um, for this episode and we will catch up with you uh, next time. We're going to, let me see, housekeeping stuff. Mark, do you want to... Tell anybody or tell everybody your email address, sending in questions and stuff like that for us. If, uh, if you want to send in any questions, you can go to info at revolutionaryhealth.co.uk. If you want any testing like we discussed, also the same the same email address. And just take a look at the website myself, my own and Rich's, which I'm sure he'll give you the uh, information for now. Great. Yeah, the, the main site that this stuff will be on, and maybe on both sites, but generally we're kind of working in partnership. It'll be on and you'll be able to click through the Mark site from mine, but... You go to the main blog site, all the other episodes are on there. Please leave a review and please send us your questions. This show will keep going if it keeps growing. So that's all from us and we will speak to you next time. And that's bye from me, Rich Clark. And bye from me, Mark. Thank you.
You, Me and the GP Radio Show is intended for general information purposes and is not meant to diagnose, treat or cure any disease. It is not designed to provide specific advice and anyone with a medical problem should seek the advice from their own doctor. Please note, we accept absolutely no responsibility if you turn into a fitter, stronger, more energetic and all-round better version of yourself. To get the show notes, just head on over to richard-clark.co.uk.